Well, hey, First Church, look at this crowd. This place is packed. It's awesome. You guys excited to be here? Let me hear you. Yeah. Well, welcome to First Church. If you're new, my name is Chad, and we are so glad that you chose to worship with us today. In addition to everybody here, we have people down in our Modern Hymn Service worshiping with us, and we have a bunch of people online also. I just looked and saw that Jeremy is driving back from Alabama, so I hope you're listening and not watching, but we're glad that you're driving back and worshiping with us. Michael and Carolyn are in California. Amy is in Owasso, and there were a ton of other people online as well. So if you would, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family. So glad that you guys are joining us as well. And I hope that everybody is having a great start to the new year. If I haven't had a chance to tell you yet, Happy New Year. Hopefully you had a great Christmas holiday and New Year celebration as well. We had a great Christmas celebration here. Uh, we had four Christmas Eve services, and if you haven't heard yet, we had our largest Christmas Eve service ever in the history of our church with over 2,500 people worshiping for Christmas Eve. I mean, that's just great. And we don't celebrate that because it's just a big number. We celebrate that because it's an opportunity for us to tell more and more people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Then we delivered 150 meals to families in need during the Christmas season uh, as our church unleashed a revolution of God's love on people. And then we also had a Christmas Day service on a day that many people decided many churches decided to cancel church. We had a service here on site and it was a full room if you were in the room that day. And we had over 1,100 people total online and in-person worship with us on that day. And it just speaks to all the excitement of what's going on here. Uh, Matt said just a second ago that this is a movement that's taking place here. And it is, we're not a club. We're not just an institution. We are a movement of God where God is working and doing incredible stuff. And so we're glad you're here and a part of that today. And I'm excited to launch this new series with you, Life's Too Short. Now, we are in 2023. That's hard for me to believe that it's January. It seems like we just started 2022 yesterday, but we're already at another new year. And I don't know how you feel about this new year. I don't know if you're like excited for the start or if you were more like this guy, Michael Scott off the office, you know, the face you make when you have to go back to work after the holidays. You know, I don't know if that's how you're approaching the new year, like, oh, another year and I got so much to do and got a lot of stress right now. Maybe that's how you feel or maybe not. Maybe you're genuinely excited. New year new opportunities, all that good stuff. My kids, they love animals. They love going to the zoo and they love watching animal videos online. And we found this video of some uh, alpacas just the other day and they were trying to jump over a puddle. All of them didn't want to walk through this puddle. They were jumping over it instead. And I want for you to watch this video, but wait for the last one, okay? The last one's the best one. Take a look at this video. Is that not awesome? Is that not great? Hey, let's watch it one more time. It's worth watching one more time. Are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. They're all jumping, look, and they're all doing their thing, jumping across this puddle. And then as we wait for the very last one, this is how some of you guys I know are going to be entering 2023. That one's kind of hesitant there, but here comes the last one. I love it with some attitude. You know, it's awesome. It's great. All right. Well, I don't know how you're approaching 2023. I don't know if you're excited or not looking forward to it or just somewhere in between, but I think God wants you to know two things as we begin this new year. The first is this, you are not alone. 
No matter what you're dealing with right now, no matter what you're facing, you are not alone. In fact, God gives us this promise in scripture. In the book of Hebrews, it reminds us that God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so no matter what you face in this upcoming year, no matter what you have to deal with, what hurdles you have to try to cross, or what successes you have, or failures you experience, no matter what, you are not alone. God never abandons his people. But then there's also another truth that I believe God wants for you to know, and it's this. God wants you to make the most of this time. No matter what you experience over the next year, God wants you to make the most of this year. The Bible tells us this in the book of Ephesians. It says, so then be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We are to make the most of the time that we have been given. And there's a reason why the scripture tells us that we need to make the most of our time because our time here is limited. Whether we wanna talk about it or not, whether we want to discuss it or not, Life is short. Even those people who we say, hey, they lived a long life. Really, when you look at the grand scheme of things, the history of the human race, really those who live a long life, it's still just a blip on the radar, right? It's a short period of time. Whether we wanna talk about it or not, life is short and our days are numbered. And the Bible doesn't hide this truth from us. In fact, in the book of James, it says this. It says, what is your life? That's a good question, isn't it? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So how does the Bible define our lives on this earth? We're a mist that appears for just a little while and then vanishes. God is telling us this is what our lives are like. We're there for a moment and then we're gone almost as soon as we appear. We're a mist that appears for a little while and then it's gone. There will be two dates on our tombstone and then a little bitty dash in the middle. And that little bitty dash really is short, isn't it? Now, aren't you encouraged to be here today? I mean, isn't that like good news? Hey, life's short, our days are numbered, you know, life's limited. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Don't you feel encouraged? Well, you should. Because the reason why the Bible tells us this is not to depress us, but it's actually to encourage us. You see, this truth, this reality, isn't meant to be depressing, but liberating. It's meant to free us. And it frees us for a couple of different reasons. One, it reminds us that what we experience in this life, it's temporary. All the pain and suffering and heartache and sickness that we experience in this life, it's temporary. One day it will be gone. It will not last forever. And I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty good news. And so our failures and our successes They are here one day and they're gone the very next. And so sometimes when you scratch your head and you wonder why is that evil people succeed, their success isn't going to last. And sometimes if you wonder why you're struggling, your struggles are not going to last. And also, even if you mess up, even if you fail, because we have new life in Jesus, we are not defined by our failures. We can move beyond those failures in him. You see, Christians 
In the words of a real famous coach, Christians are like goldfish. Why are goldfish the happiest animals on earth? Because they have 10 second memories, right? They forget what they just did and they move on. FC Richmond, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. And if not, don't worry about it. But anyway, we're, we're like goldfish. We have 10 second memories. We just move on because we know that what happened in the past doesn't have to define us anymore. And so... We are taught in scripture, don't trade what's eternal for what's temporary because we're living for something more than just what we see around us. But this is also liberating and freeing for us for another reason because the Bible is also telling us don't waste significant amounts of your time on insignificant pursuits. Don't waste your time chasing after what so many other people chase after that ultimately one day will be gone. Because here's the thing, our life on this earth is short But God's purposes last forever. God's purposes don't fade away. His mission continues through all generations. And so I am perfectly okay with my name being forgotten on this earth. I'm fine with that as long as God's name is remembered. I'm perfectly fine if nobody on this earth remembers Chad Broadus after I die. But my goal is for God to be remembered so that people can have a relationship with him. Because here's the thing, people on this earth after I die may forget about me, but God knows my name. And I want for my kids and my grandkids and your kids and your grandkids to have a relationship with the one who created us and formed us and has a greater purpose for us. So we don't live for insignificant things. We don't waste our times, time chasing after things that ultimately don't matter. I'll never forget, years ago at a previous ministry I served in, I had a conversation with a guy about lunchboxes. And I had this conversation with him on his deathbed. This guy was dying and his family asked me to come talk to him because he didn't go to church. As far as they knew, he never had any type of relationship with Jesus. And they said, would you come in and talk to him? And so I said I would. And I remember stopping by, and he's laying in bed, and I just made some small talk with him for a while, got to know him a little bit, talked about the weather and sports and all that stuff. And then after a while, I said, is there anything that you want to talk about? You know where you are right now when it comes to your health. Is there anything right now you want to talk about? That's how I led into the more important stuff. And he said, you know what, preach? That's what he called me. You know what, preach? You look like a trustworthy guy. I was like, well, I I try. You know, whatever, I'm not perfect, but I try. And he said, would you do me a favor? I was like, what is it? He said, would you talk to my family? And would you tell them not to fight over my lunchboxes? And I looked at him like, what? I mean, I had no idea what he was talking about. Apparently, he went on to tell me, he had this huge collection of lunchboxes. And he had like this barn or shack or something. I don't know, had all these lunchboxes in it that he had collected over the years. Some of them were worth a whole lot of money. And he was afraid that his family was going to fight over them. He said, would you talk to them about my lunchboxes? I said, well, yeah, I can do that. But is there anything else you want to talk about? And he didn't. I tried to talk to him about Jesus in a very loving way. He didn't want to. And afterwards, I went out and met with his family and I said, how'd it go? I said, well, one thing you wanted me to talk to you guys about were his lunchboxes. <laughs> and one of his family members looked at me and said, we have been trying to tell him forever. We don't care about those lunchboxes. We care about him. Now, this guy was 
in his right mind. He was of sound mind. And that may sound silly to you, but every time I see a lunchbox like this, I think about how we often chase after insignificant things that ultimately don't matter that one day will be gone. So let me ask you today, as we begin 2023, what's your lunchbox? Maybe it's a career move. Maybe it's a possession that you've always wanted, new house, new car. Maybe it's a certain status, either online status, or maybe status at work or in a certain friend group. Maybe it's a desire that you've always wanted. What's your lunchbox? What is it that you're chasing after that you may get, but you can't take with you? And in the end, it really doesn't matter because the Bible tells us that life's too short for us to waste. Instead of wasting our life on lunchboxes and other insignificant things, we're told to pray this prayer. It says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, we count our days so that every single day will count because our lives are short. And even though our lives may be brief, God's purpose for us is still big. He still wants to accomplish big things through you and me while we are here. And that's why in Ephesians, we just read this verse a second ago, it says that we are to be making the most of our time. And how do we do that? Well, Paul goes on to say, by understanding what the Lord's will is. Because here's what I've discovered, and some of you guys have discovered this as well. There is a freedom and a sense of fulfillment that comes when we align our days with God's greater purpose for our lives. So let me ask you, are you aligning your life today with God's greater purpose for your life? And so in this series, we're going to be looking at different examples in Scripture of people who align their lives with God's greater purpose. And today, as we kick off this series, we're going to look at a classic example from the Old Testament. We're going to look at a guy you've probably heard of before. His name is Moses. And I love the story of Moses, the life of Moses. He was a great man of God. And if anybody saw God's greater purposes, it was definitely him. He saw God's work on display display time and time again. And just think about all the stuff that Moses got to experience. I mean, Moses was a guy that God chose to stand up to Pharaoh because God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And so Moses got to stand up to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the planet. And he got to be the one who led God's people, the Hebrews, the Israelites out of their captivity in Egypt. And through that process, he got to see God rain down plagues on the Egyptians and God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. And then God led them through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud during the day and fire in the sky at night. And Moses got to go up on Mount Sinai and meet with God and receive the Ten Commandments. The people saw the presence of God on the mountain. And then later God nourished the people with water from a rock and with manna from heaven. I mean, time and time again, Moses saw the great hand of God at work. But most importantly, he got to see his people be delivered from their slavery, from their captivity. But here's the thing. Moses almost didn't see any of it. Moses almost missed all that. He almost didn't experience any of the stuff that I just talked about. Because when you back up to the beginning of the book of Exodus, if you pick up in Exodus chapter th uh, three, God has this life-changing conversation with Moses. 
And it's a little bit of a struggle to get Moses to do what God wants him to do. See, here's what's going on. Moses is in the land of Midian right now. He's living on the far side of the desert of Midian, and that's not where Moses grew up. Moses wasn't a Midianite. He was actually a Hebrew, but he was raised in Egypt. But he wasn't raised a slave like the rest of his people. Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses as her son, so he grew up as part of the royal family in Egypt. He had some prestige, some special honor. He was royalty, but he still knew he was a Hebrew. And one day he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Israelites. And so Moses took matters into his own hands and he killed that Egyptian. And then Moses ends up having to flee for his life because of the consequences of that bad decision. And Moses flees to the land of Midian. And there when he gets to Midian, he's welcomed by those people there. And he lives there for the next 40 years. He ends up getting married there. He marries the daughter of the priest of Midian, who is probably the most influential guy in the area. And so he ends up marrying his daughter. And after he marries Zipporah, that was her name. What a cool name, right? After he marries Zipporah, he starts a family there. He gets to work for his father-in-law. And he lives a nice, comfortable life for 40 years in Midian. And then one day he's out walking, uh, watching his father-in-law's sheep. And all of a sudden he sees this bush that's crackling, that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And God speaks to him through the bush. And this is what happens. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. And Moses is probably thinking, this is great news. This is what my people have needed for some time. So Moses is probably thinking, great plan, God. That is awesome. Go for it, God. And then God drops the bomb on him, and this is what God says next. Now go, for I am sending you back to Pharaoh, the place that you ran from, back to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And Moses is like, uh, do what now? Uh, what exactly are you saying, God? Don't you remember I had to run from there, and I've been hiding out for 40 years in Midian, and they don't like me back in Egypt? That's... A great plan you have and everything, but you got the wrong guy here. You got the wrong dude, not me. Uh, what now? And that's why Moses does what he does next. It says, but Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Now, you might think for a second that Moses is being a little bit humble here. Oh, who am I? I'm not worthy to do this. There's got to be somebody who's better to do this than me. You might think Moses is being a little bit humble here, but he's not. The key word there is the word protesting. See, Moses is arguing with God in this moment because Moses doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. He doesn't want to go back to Egypt. And we find that out as we read on. You see, God tells him, don't worry. You're gonna be fine because I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to enable you. I am going to encourage you. I'm gonna be there every step of the way. You're not going to do this on your own. And after God reassures, of this, reassures Moses of this, look at what Moses does next. He says, but Moses protested again. 
If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God's like, okay, well, if they ask you what my name is, tell them I'm the God of their ancestors. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tell them that I am the great I am, the one true God, the one who created everything, who's gonna bring everything to an end. Tell them I am the one who is in everything. I am the one who made everything. I am the I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. Moses is like, okay, that sounds good. But, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? In other words, what if they just don't think it's true that this plan is something that I made up or whatever, even though God's already reassured him, I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna take care of you and I'm gonna work through you, he still is questioning what God wants him to do. And I want you to notice here two words. If you wanna go back to that scripture. What if, what if? Those two words, what if, can hold someone captive for years. Those two words, what if, can hold a church back from its mission for years. What if can lead us to be trapped in a wilderness of doubt where we never actually see what God wants us to see and knows that we can see. And one lesson that I've learned in my life is this, don't get trapped in the wilderness of what if. Because I've seen it happen. I've had conversations with people about theology and they will read what the Bible says. And they'll say, yeah, I know the Bible says for me to do this and that's what I'm commanded to do, but what if, and they go through some what if scenario. And I'm like, listen, don't worry about the what if scenario. You just be obedient to God. Just do what God says. And if you can obey him, obey him. And if the what if scenario ever happens, God will take care of that. He's God. He's bigger than you are. You just do what he tells you to do. Trust him. And yet they still want to question. And really their what ifs oftentimes just because they don't want to do what God wants them to do. Since it's happened in churches. Well, what if we go where we feel like God's leading us to go and people don't like it? What if people leave our church? What if they stop giving? What if, we, what if it doesn't work out like we think it's gonna work out? Now we, we're praying about this and we're studying and we know God wants us to do this, but what if? Now, I'm not against us preparing and planning and looking at all the different angles of what we need to do to make sure we are living out God's will. Don't misunderstand me. But you can get trapped in the wilderness of what if forever. And today, I know People who claim to be followers of Jesus but who are spiritually stagnant because they're trapped in the wilderness of what if. And I know churches today that at one time were growing and prosperous but they're dying today because they got trapped in the wilderness of what if. And so Moses says, what if they don't believe me? And God responds with another question. God responds by saying this, what is that in your hand? Moses says, what, what if? God says, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Smart guy, scared of snakes, me too. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff 
in his hand. God says, what's that? Moses says, well, that's my staff. I've been using it for years. Throw it down. Moses throws it down. It turns into a snake. What's God doing? You don't need anything else to do what I'm asking you to do. You've got everything you need. You're asking what if. I'm saying what do you already have because you've got everything you need right now to do what I'm asking you to do. And then God says, pick back up the snake. After Moses has just jumped back and run from it. Pick back up the snake, but pick it up by its tail. Now, I don't know a whole lot about snakes, but I know you don't pick up a snake by its tail. That's a good way to get bit, right? Sometimes what God asks us to do makes us feel really, really uncomfortable and it doesn't make any sense when we follow our logic. But we trust him. We don't play the what if game, we trust him. And Moses picks the snake back up by its tail and it turns back into a shepherd's staff. And here, what God is saying is, you've got what you need, just trust me. And if we keep worrying about what if, we'll never see what God really wants to show us. But then God does another sign, another miracle. This is what happens. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. We believe what Moses had here was a severe case of leprosy. Now, leprosy was a disease that was feared in this day and age. You had to go live isolated from everybody else if you had leprosy. Nobody wanted leprosy. It was considered an incurable disease. Leprosy was really, really bad, and everybody was scared to death of it. And what does God have Moses do? Moses, put your perfectly healthy hand into your cloak and pull it out. And when Moses pulls it out, it's covered in this skin disease. And then God says, put it back in. He puts it back in, pulls it back out, and it's healed. What's God saying? I'm more powerful than what you're most scared of. I can make leprosy come and go just like that. And you're worried about Pharaoh? I got this. See, God is greater than our greatest fears. We just have to learn to trust him. And here's the thing. God didn't need to have Moses do any of this. In fact, even those miracles, God could have he didn't have to use Moses' staff to have a snake. If God wanted a snake, he could have turned a stick laying there, you know, into a snake. He could have turned that bush that was on fire into a whole bunch of snakes, right? If God wanted to do that. God didn't need for Moses to grab the snake in order for it to turn back into a shepherd's staff. Could have just turned back into a shepherd's staff and reappeared in Moses' hand if that's what God wanted to do. God didn't need Moses to stick his hand to his cloak for it to come out leprous. I mean, God could have made leprosy come upon Moses while his hand was still outside of his cloak, right? God didn't have to have Moses, ask Moses to have a part in this. But why does God do that? Because God wants us to take a step of faith. And here's the thing. God shows up when we step out of faith. God does things that are beyond our imaginations when we step out in faith. And that's what he's trying to tell Moses. Go to Egypt, do what I'm asking you to do, and I will show up for you in a way like you can't imagine. And so you would think that after these little miracles, little signs that God gave Moses, he would be ready to go now. But look at what happens. But Moses pleaded, and it's not protest, this time it's pleaded, okay? It's changed a little bit. It's different, but the same. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. 
I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. In other words, Moses, who made you? Who knows what you're capable of doing? Who made Pharaoh? Who made everything? It is me and I will be with you. I will empower you. I will enable you to do this. And here's the thing. Look back on the things I've done in the past, God says. I've got a pretty good track record of doing what I promised to do. And look at how Moses responds. But Moses again pleaded, Lord Please send anyone else. There it is. Moses wasn't being humble when he said, oh, there's gotta be somebody else. Moses isn't even questioning his own abilities in this moment. He's questioning God's credibility. He's questioning God's plan. See, this is what's going on here. Moses is living a pretty nice life and God comes on the scene and says, I've got something better for you and Moses doesn't think that what God is asking him to do is better. And what we need to remember as God leads us to do greater things for him, humility that denies God's ability to do greater things through us is simply unbelief in disguise. A lot of times we mask our own lack of faith with humble words Oh, I know that the church needs some more small group leaders, but you don't want me to lead a small group. I mean, I'm just, I don't have a Bible college education and I just don't know the Bible as well as so-and-so and I just can't do it. And it sounds humble. Really, it's just an excuse. Oh, I know we need more workers in our next-gen ministry and kids' ministry and all that. I know we need more volunteers, and we've got a great program there, but you don't want me. I mean, I'm not really good with kids, and there's people out there that are better than me. Sounds humble. But really, it's just an excuse. And here's the thing. God isn't asking Moses to serve in an advisory capacity. <laughs> He's not asking for Moses' advice. God is telling Moses to do something. It's kind of like my kids. You know, my son is in this phase right now. He's nine years old where he doesn't want to wear long pants he wants to wear shorts all the time, even when it's like zero degrees outside. You know, he wants to wear shorts. And so the other day it was cold. He's going to go to school on him. It was like 10 degrees or something. And he was like, Daddy, can I wear shorts? I'm like, no, you can't wear shorts. Got to wear long pants. Got to wear a sweatshirt, you know, whatever. Got to wear something that's warm. And got to wear a jacket too. He hates wearing jackets. And so I'm telling him all this. He's like, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't I wear the hoodie with the jacket, but still wear shorts? I'm like, this is not up for negotiation, you know? I didn't ask you to give me advice. I'm telling you what to do because I know... What is better for you? And I don't want you to get sick. And that's what God is. God's not asking us for advice. It's not as if God leads us to do something and then we're like, hey, God, well, we got a better plan. How about this? God's like, no, trust me. Listen to me. And Moses is plainly showing in this moment that he doesn't trust God's plan for him. And that's why we see the next verse. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. We love to talk about the love of God, but God can still love us and get mad at us. Those of you who have kids know that's true. You can love your kids to death and still get upset with them, can't you? 
God is angry with Moses, why? Because Moses isn't questioning his own abilities in this moment, he's questioning God's credibility, God's plan, and what he's saying is, God, I don't think you know what's best for me. And I think here's why Moses gets to this conclusion. Jump way back into Exodus chapter two. This is when Moses first arrives in Midian, and he meets Jethro, who's the priest of Midian, and he meets the family, and he settles there, and Jethro, the priest of Midian, tells his daughters, invite him, invite Moses to come and eat with us, to join us, and Moses accepted the invitation, and he settled there. Can you say that word in green with me? Here we go, one, two, three, settled. He settled there with him. And in time, Ruel, that's um, Jethro's other name, gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. And later she gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom. For he explained, I'm a foreigner of foreign land. He settled here. Moses gets married, starts a family, has a nice job working for his daddy-in-law. And his father-in-law has some influence, so Moses has some influence. He's probably going to get a pretty good inheritance and all that stuff. Things are looking good for Moses, and he's comfortable. And then God comes on the scene, and God says, Hey, I got a new life I want you to live. I want you to start a new chapter. And Moses is like, Nah, I'm good. And here's the thing. Our biggest barriers to living a remarkable life is often, one of the, our biggest barriers to living a remarkable life is often the desire for a comfortable life. One of the biggest barriers to living a remarkable life is the desire for a comfortable life. And let me ask you, are you exchanging the remarkable life that God wants you to live because you settled for a more comfortable life? And we can come up with a lot of excuses of why we're not going to live the remarkable life that God wants us to live. But today's excuses become tomorrow's regrets. And we get to the end of our lives and all we have left to show for our lives is a barn full of lunchboxes that we're still clinging to and yet we can't take with us. Our lives are short. But what God is telling Moses in this passage is that I'm not finished with you yet. You're living a comfortable, safe life. But I'm not finished with you yet. I got big plans in store for you if you're willing to do what I'm asking you to do. And I believe that's what God wants to tell our church today. That's what God wants to tell you today as we begin 2023. God's not finished with you, and he's not finished with me. He still has big plans in store for us in this short little time that we have. Let's not waste our lives, our short lives, settling for what doesn't really matter. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this time we've had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that we will be a church that never settles for what's comfortable, but that lives out the remarkable plans that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.